You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Uh, There was, uh, you you may have seen this, there was a photo essay last year uh, by a photographer named Eric Pickersgill, uh, and the the name of the the photo essay was called Removed. And um, what he did was he took photos of just ordinary people in their everyday lives looking down at their phone, their their smartphone or or their their mobile device, Uh, but then he, he, he removed the phones. Uh, from the photos. And so it's just a, it's a bunch of photos of people just looking down at their hands like this. Uh, and, and the effect was both humorous and, and I think haunting. Uh, it was humorous because the people just looked really silly, right? There was, there was this one married couple that were laying in their bed back to back, right? They were under the covers, back to back, looking the other direction, and they were both just staring at their own hands like zombies, right? Uh, there, was, uh, there was this one photo of a guy getting a haircut. He was in the barber chair just looking down at his hand, not talking to the barber. She's just doing her work. Uh, there was another uh, of, of three little boys. I imagine they were brothers, and they were lined up on a couch, and they were, lo- they were all just, you know, one, the littlest one had a blanket on him, and they were all just looking down at the space uh, between their hands. Now, that was a little bit funny, but it was also haunting to me because I saw myself uh, in those photos. Uh, what was haunting about them is that they, all those people thought that they were doing something really harmless, and it is harmless. They're just looking at Twitter or Instagram or something, uh, playing a game. Uh, or, or they may even thought they were doing something productive, just clearing out their inbox, you know, right there. Uh, but, but really, they were being formed in, in, in those moments and, in, into a certain type of person. And what struck me about those photos was the fixed gaze that all of those people had. It was like they were locked in. They all had this, this fixed gaze. Uh, and, and it struck me that what we fix our gaze on has a way of forming us, doesn't it? It's almost like what we gaze at or what we meditate upon is what we become. Like I, if, if I, throughout my day, give my attention to my iPhone, if that's what has my, my gaze most of the day, then I'm formed into the kind of person who's never really fully present, right? I'm formed into the kind of person uh, who, who's, who's working when he ought to be resting or thinking or praying. I'm formed into the kind of person who is bombarded by constant information that makes me anxious. I'm formed into the kind of person who wastes a lot of time doing things like looking at amateur photos of what my friends are having for breakfast, you know, things like that. What we gaze at is what we become. There's this famous prayer at the end of Psalm 19, which you just heard, and maybe you've prayed this prayer before. It's verse 14. Did you, you, did you catch it? Look at Psalm 19, verse 14. It's a famous prayer. David, who's the psalmist, cries out to God, let the words of my mouth, Lord, And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I think that's a good prayer for the new year, isn't it? Like if that were the only thing that came true in my life this year, it'd be better than any New Year's resolution I could come up with on my own. Like, Lord, let my words, everything that spills out of my mouth be pleasing to you. The tone, the volume, 
the amount, the motives behind my words. Let all my words, everything I say and how I say it be pleasing to you. But then he goes on and he says, let the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. In other words, the very things that I think about when I'm not really trying to think about things, let that be pleasing to you. The the things that I set my heart on, my desires, my affections, let those be pleasing to you because my desires actually end up driving the decisions and choices I make in my life. Let those be pleasing to you. I read that and I thought, you know, every Christian should want that prayer to come true in their life, shouldn't they? Like, align my words, God, to you. Align my heart motivations, God, to you. We ought to want that to happen in our life. Now, how does it happen? How are we formed into that type of person? Well, I actually think it's connected to the rest of the psalm. I think that what we gaze at is what we become. Like, what we meditate upon is what ends up coming out of us because that's what gets into us. Here at the beginning of 2016, I want us just to take a few moments uh, to to think about where we fix uh, our gaze, uh, what we're devoted to, because actually our practices of devotion or lack of devotion uh, will form us in very particular ways. And so specifically, I want us to take a few moments and think about the Word of God by looking at Psalm 19. Uh, And then we're going to have a, uh, I think, a delightful illustration of what it looks like when God's Word dwells in someone. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to close with just a few practical words about the Word of God and our practices in the Word of God, okay? So that's where we're headed for the next uh, few moments, all right? Uh, psalm 19, let's look at it. Uh, this psalm uh, tells us that we have a God who reveals Himself. He shows Himself. If He didn't, we wouldn't know anything about Him, right? If God did not reveal Himself, then all our thoughts about Him would merely be conjecture, like ill-formed opinions, So, the first way that God reveals himself is through what he's made, through the creation. That's what the first six verses in this psalm are about. Look at at verse 1, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And so, when you at night go out on a clear evening and look up at the stars, or when you catch a beautiful sunset over Lake Travis… Or when you get up early and see the sun coming up on the horizon. All of those things are crying out one thing. God. They're crying out, God made us. God sustains us. Don't worship us, the sun is saying, the stars are saying. Don't worship us. Worship the God who made us and sustains us. But we know that not everyone that looks at creation gives glory to God and sees God there. That creation is a general revelation. Sometimes people miss God in creation. There is uh, something interesting uh, about the language in this psalm. The name of God uh, that's used in this first section of Psalm 19 is the Hebrew word El, or the plural would be Elohim. It just, it's a general name for God. It just means mighty God. But when you get to verse 7, and the psalmist starts talking about the Scriptures, he switches and he starts using a different name for God. He starts using the name Yahweh, Uh, You see it in your Bible as LORD in all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps, and he uses it for the rest of the psalm. This is God's personal name. This is his covenant name. This is the name he's given to his people who are in a bonded love relationship with him, who know him intimately and personally. And so you see what the psalmist is getting at here, right? Like, if you want to know about God, about his greatness and about his glory, just go out and check out creation. It's magnificent. But if you really want to know God, like, intimately and personally, 
Like if you want to know for sure that he loves you, that he has a plan for your life, that he's with you, then you need a more specific revelation. And God has given us that in his written word. We could think of um, the Bible, the written revelation of God, sort of like God's love letter to his people. Right? It's, it's not a sentimental, sappy love letter. It's, it is a gritty, tough-minded letter, but it is a loving letter because in this letter, God reveals his love for us. He reveals how he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, the purpose of a love letter is not to fall more in love with the letter, it's to fall more in love with the one revealed in the letter, right? Uh, when Amy and I were dating uh, years ago, uh, it was a long-distance relationship, and, and we used to write each other letters. This was a long time ago, so we wrote each other letters with like pens and actual paper. Whoa, it's crazy. It's way back when I had my, you know, I was writing by candlelight with my quill. Um, um, during those days, I remember I would rush to the mailbox every day because I thought there might be a letter from Amy there. And it's not because I especially like reading letters. I don't. If you write me a letter, I don't want to read it probably, right? But I, I was in love with the one revealed in the letter, right? Those letters connected me uh, to her. I read the letters to fall more in love with the one revealed there. That's kind of how the Bible works. Now, I want you to see a few things about God's love letter to us here in Psalm 19. I want you to see what it's like uh, and then what it does, all right? What it's like and what it does in our life. Look at, look at verses 7 through 11. David is writing about what he calls the Torah. Uh, this is just the law of God. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the instruction of God that was gathered and put together as the scriptures in his day. That's what he's talking about. He uses several synonyms for it here. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear or the reverence of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, buy them as your servant warned, and keeping them, there is great reward. Now, what is God's word like as it's described here? Well, you got to catch the emotion that David feels. and what he, he is really excited. This is a song. He's writing and singing a song about the glories of the Bible. And what he's saying about the Bible is the, that the Word of God is incomparable. Right? Nothing you have in your possession rivals your possession of, of the Word of God. And look at the words he uses to describe it here. Look in verse 7. He says it's perfect, meaning it's without fault. Like it, is, it is whole, it is complete, it leaves nothing out that you need to know about God, about yourself, about your Savior. Now, does the Scripture tell you everything that you want to know in life? Does it satisfy every curiosity that you have? No, it does not, right? But Scripture is comprehensive, even though it's not exhaustive, right? It doesn't exhaust the realm of knowledge. It doesn't tell you everything there is to know about anything ever, but it does tell you everything you need to know about the one in whom is summed up all knowledge. That is our Savior, Jesus. 
It's perfect in that sense. It's sure, it says, again in verse 7, meaning it's reliable. It's not going to lead you astray. It's right. It's, it's pure. It's clean. It's, meaning it's morally and ethically flawless. It's true, in verse 9 it says, meaning it perfectly describes how things are, and it perfectly aligns, if something's true, it perfectly aligns with how things are supposed to be. And then finally, in verse 10, David says it's desirable. Look at verse 10. He says it's more desirable than gold, not just a little bit of gold, though, much gold, he says, and and not just average gold, fine gold. So if you have the choice between getting some gold and, and the Word of God, choose it. Choose the Word of God. If you have a choice between much fine gold and the Bible, always choose the Bible, right? He also says it's sweeter than honey, straight from the honeycomb is what he says, which is, I think, like the most delightful thing he could think of. It's the best dessert he could come, in his mind, come up with. Honey, straight from the honeycomb, that is sweeter than that. Now, I would probably think, choose a different dessert. I'd probably choose Amy's chocolate cake, my wife's chocolate cake, which is just amazing. She made it for all of our neighbors uh, over the holidays, and after they had received it, I'd see see them out, like, in the yard and stuff, And, and a bunch of my neighbors made the point to tell me how great that cake was. And I was like, why are you telling me? It was almost like they were kind of wanting to say, hey man, that cake was really good. Is there any more of that? You know, can we get some more? And you know, last weekend we had a, uh, a, a gathering with some of my college buddies and their families and Amy made this chocolate cake. And one of my friends kept going over and getting a little more bite of cake every now and then. And at one point he goes, that, man, that cake is like crack, right? He was like, I can't stop eating that cake because it's delicious. It's amazing. And what David is saying here is think about the best dessert you can think of, and the Word of God is more desirable than that. You know, Adam and Eve had the Word of God, didn't they? They had the Word of God, and yet they found something else more desirable. They ignored the Word of God, and they chose something else. They, They fixed their gaze on something else. And it did not go well from that point on. Right. Psalm 19 is saying that the, that the Word of God is incomparable, and you would do well to pay attention to it, to choose it over anything else vying for your attention. Now, that's what the Word of God is like. What does it do? What does it do? Well, it does more than any other book would do, because the purpose of the Word of God is not just to give us information, it's to give us transformation. We don't, we don't read the Word of God just to fill our heads with information or to be entertained. We do it to experience the transforming work of God. Uh, in our life. And, and I'll mention a few things that are listed here uh, about ways that it transform, uh, transforms us. Look at verse 7. It, the first way it transforms us is that it revives our soul. The, word of, the, word of the, Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. This literally means it restores our life. Right? The word soul that's used here is also used in um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It's when God is forming the man out of the dust of the earth, and it breathes, he breathes into the, into the man, and it says there in Genesis 2 that the man became a living soul, right? So life comes from the breath of God. Life comes from the Word of God. What, what does 2 Timothy 3.16 say about the Bible? All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's the breath of God. The Bible is the only thing that can breathe and restore life in you when you're depleted, that can, re- that can renew you uh, when you're feeling just worn out. We need the Word of God because it's the only thing that can restore. So, do you feel depleted 
Read the Bible. It restores life to you. Second thing it does is it gives us wisdom. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord, skip down, is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now, we know, that we know what wisdom is in some ways. We, it, wisdom is just living life the way it's designed to be lived. Wisdom is, is, is the ability to make choices that line up with, with reality. Problem is, um, a lot of times we're in the dark about what reality as God sees it. We're just, we're out of sorts. And so we need to be enlightened uh, to his way of reality uh, because his wisdom often is counterintuitive. Like we, sometimes we, we see the wisdom of God and we wouldn't have come up with that on our own. For example, God says, if you want to really live, then you got to die, right? Or, or if you want to be first, then you got you to be last. Or he says, the greatest wisdom ever displayed is in the crucifixion of my son, and we hear that and we're like, wait, what? That makes no sense. That seems like the greatest tragedy and injustice in history. And yet God says it's the very wisdom of God. And through the crucifixion of his son, hope would come to the world. And so to ever even know that, I need the word of God to give me the wisdom of the cross. I need the word of God to show me the wisdom of the cruciform life, the cross-centered life. Because I wouldn't come up with that on my own. Finally, um, the Word of God, look at verse 8. It gives us joy. It says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And so, God's Word doesn't just promise a happy heart to us. It promises a joyful heart. I mean, don't you want that? See, joy, unlike happiness, transcends circumstances, right? God's Word tells us that we can have joy even if things aren't going our way. Like, we can have joy even if we're suffering. Like, the Bible says we can have joy because it reminds us that we belong to Christ, that God is in control, that nothing can alter His plans, uh, that even though we might be sharing in the sufferings of Christ right now, we will also someday share in His glory. Only the Bible can give us that kind of supernatural joy deep down in our heart because only the Bible can align our hearts to the purposes of God. So, the Bible brings life, it brings wisdom. It brings joy. Now, how do we get these blessings from God's Word? Psalm 1. Blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on His law day and night. Psalm 119. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes, fix my gaze on your ways. See, what you fix your gaze upon is what you become. It has a way of forming you. It has a way of getting into you, and then that's what comes out of you. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, meaning let it live in you. And if you do, what will come out of you? The rest of Colossians 3.16 says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Do you see that? Meditating on the Word of God produces words that are pleasing to God, and then deep heart meditations and reflections that are pleasing to God. It's amazing. Now, I want you to see an incredible illustration of this. Uh, A few months ago, if you've been part of our church, you know that we offered the challenge to memorize the book of Colossians, which we're in the middle of going through 
uh, right now. And some of you are working on that and doing great at it. Uh, but one of you has already finished it, and uh, it's Melanie Bear. Uh, Melanie came up to the office at the beginning of December uh, and just recited the book of Colossians to our staff, and it was just so worshipful to hear her do it. And I want you to hear the book of Colossians from the lips of Melanie today as an example of the Word of Christ dwelling richly in someone. This is not an opportunity for her to perform for you. That's not what this is. Uh, This is not to put you under the pile, okay? So don't feel that. There's no righteousness in memorizing Scripture. Jesus is your righteousness, Him alone, okay? But I think this is a chance just to sit back and to worship as you see the Word of God come alive in the life of a person. So why don't we welcome Melanie up uh, as she comes up. This letter is from Paul, chosen by, Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. It is written to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard that you trust in Christ Jesus, and that you love all of God's people. You do this because you are looking forward to the joys of heaven, as you have been ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is changing lives everywhere, just as it changed yours that very first day that you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. Epaphras, our much-loved co-worker, was the one who brought you the good news. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us in your place. He is the one that told us of the great love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete understanding of what he wants to do in your lives, and we ask him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and you will continually do good, kind things for others. All the while you will learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power, so that you will have all the patience and endurance you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father, who has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear Son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood. And he has forgiven all our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once so far away from God. You are his enemies, separated from him by your sinful thoughts and actions, yet now he has brought you back as his friends. 
He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed by God to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am completing what remains of Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming this message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. This message has been kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to his own holy people. For it has pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. For this is the secret. Christ lives in you, and this is the assurance that you will share in all his glory. So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom God has given us, for we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. I work very hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I have agonized over you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other friends who have never known me personally. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have full confidence because they have complete knowledge of God's secret plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will be able to deceive you with persuasive arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I am very happy because you are living as you should and because of your strong faith in Christ. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to him. Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him so you grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you are taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God that raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ. He has forgiven all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon celebrations or Sabbaths. These rules are only shadows of the real thing, Christ himself. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on self-denial, and don't let anyone say you must worship angels even though they say they have had visions about this. These people claim to be so humble, but their sinful minds have made them proud. But they are not connected to Christ, who is the head of the body. For we are all joined together in his body by his strong sinews, and we grow only as we get our nourishment and strength from God. Since you have died with Christ, he has set you free from the evil powers of this world. So why do you keep following rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't eat, don't touch? These rules are mere human teaching about things that are gone as soon as we use them. 
These rules might seem wise because they require strong devotion, humility, and severe bodily discipline, but they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off the old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. In its place, you have clothed yourselves with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God shows you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are all called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. You wives must submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And you husbands must love your wives and never treat them harshly. You children must always obey your parents, for this is what pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. If you do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. You slaves must obey your earthly master in whatever you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Obey them willingly because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do, as though working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites who can get away with evil. You slave owners must be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Don't forget to pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to preach about his secret plan, that Christ is also for you Gentiles. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not Christians, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and effective so that you will have the right answer for everyone. 
Tychicus, our much-loved brother, will let you know how we are getting along. He is a faithful helper who serves the Lord with me. I have sent him on this special trip to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and much-loved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will give you all the latest news. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. And as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish Christians among my co-workers, and they are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, of your own city, a faithful servant of Christ, sends his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident of the whole will of God. I can assure you that he has agonized for you and also for the Christians at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Dear Dr. Luke sends his greetings and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to the Christian brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and to those who meet in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the work the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. May the grace of God be with you. Colossians is a letter, uh, but when Melanie does it, it sounds like a love letter, doesn't it? It's wonderful. Thank you, Melanie, for that. Uh, I asked her this week, were there any unexpected benefits in your life as you meditated on one book of the Bible and memorized it? And she wrote me back, and this is what she said. She said, I knew this would be challenging, but I didn't expect how impactful it it would be in my daily life. There were several times as I was memorizing it that friends asked for prayer, and I was able to immediately speak a verse or a passage from Colossians, and being able to pray God's Word in the moment like that was powerful. She said, I memorized the book by basically repeating the words over and over out loud as I went through my daily life with my girls, and this had two huge effects. One, when I was continually speaking about Christ and gratitude and patience and God's forgiveness, etc., I found I had a lot more patience for my girls and my husband. I felt more peace. I was less wrapped up in little worries and stresses because because my thoughts were consumed with God's Word. And then second, Belle, who's her two-year-old little girl, Belle started learning Colossians right along with me. And that's probably the best experience I've had as a parent so far. It was so fun hearing her speaking God's Word to her stuffed animals. It was funny when she told them about how she'd been circumcised. Um, (laughs) But my heart almost burst. My heart almost burst when I heard her at nap time telling Pink Bunny that Christ lives in all of us. And all of our sins are forgiven. And everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. There's nothing better than that. And my prayer is that those words will stick with her for a long time. See, what we gaze at is what we become, right? What we meditate upon is what comes out of us. Even for a two-year-old, that's true. And so let me ask you and ask me, uh, would you be willing uh, to renew your commitment to God's Word this year, uh, to reading and meditating upon 
and giving your attention to it. There's nothing better you could give your attention to. Uh, This would just simply mean that you would read the Word, and you'd read it regularly, and you'd read it devotionally. Not legalistically, just devotionally, as if God is actually speaking there, because He is. Uh, To be honest, a lot of Christians, maybe most Christians, don't read the Bible all that much. Maybe they want to, but they're like, well, I just get squeezed out. Or maybe they feel like, well, it's intimidating, I don't know where to start. Or it's boring, I just, I get bogged down, and I don't know how to keep going. And so, what I'm asking you to do is wherever you are in your practice of Bible reading, don't beat yourself up about it. Just take the next step, whatever that may be. And I wanted to give you just a couple, three practical steps to help you make this a reality in your life. So here they are. The first is this. Choose your Bible. Choose a Bible that you can make yourself at home in. I think you need a Bible where you just feel at home in, where it's like you're meeting with an old friend. This is my Bible. I like it for all kinds of reasons. Uh, I like it because it lays open flat uh, on the table. I like it because it's not too big, but not too small. It's the right size. feels good in my hands. It's easy to hold. It's easy to throw in my bag, take with me. Uh, It's got 10 and a half point font, which is easy on my aging eyes. I love that. It's got great cross-references. This is a good, solid Bible. Uh, But just choose a Bible you'll feel at home in. Now, I want to give you my opinion when it comes to choosing your reading Bible, okay? The Bible you use in your devotions, right? And again, this is only my opinion, right? This is not the word of the Lord to you. It's my opinion, but it's the right opinion, okay? <laughs> when you choose your Bible for reading, don't make it your phone or, or your computer or something like that, right? Because I think there's something about feeling the weight of the story in your hands, the, the gravity of God's word. Right? I think there's something important about that. I also think there's something about context, being able to see where you are in the story. That when you're in First Chronicles, you know it's different than when you're in Acts. It's the same story, uh, but it's a different part of the story. And you know, there's something about seeing that. And then I think there's something important about having a set-apart book, right? where you're not potentially distracted by checking your email, Right? or reading the news, or checking the stock market, or checking Instagram, or Facebook, or something like that. There's something about being able to, to commune with the Lord in an undistracted way. So choose a Bible that you feel at home in. If you like to write in it, just write all over that thing. Wear this thing out, okay? Wear it out so you got to get another one, right? They say, there's an old quote that I love, that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life is not, right? So choose a Bible. Here's the second thing. Choose a time and a place, And I know this sounds real basic, but if you don't build this into your schedule, you will not build it into a regular practice uh, in in your life. One reason that uh, that people don't spend time reading the Bible is they feel too busy. And that is a reality. You are busy. I am busy. We're all busy. But here's the deal. Busy or not, we are all devoted to something. We all give devotional time to something, don't we? It's, it's, what, it's how we're created as human beings. We're created to be devoted to something, and it's usually what we find value and worth in, whether it's work or entertainment or exercise or time with family and friends or hobbies or working on our house. We're made to devote ourselves to something. The reason we have to, in a disciplined way, schedule time and the Word into our schedule is because we have so many other things coming at us and vying for our attention. And so I think a lot of times we have to make time for the best thing by sort of squeezing out some good things in our life. And what I mean by that is this. I may have to sacrifice 15 minutes of sleep 
which is good, to choose 15 minutes in God's Word, which is the best. Or maybe I need to turn off the TV at night. Or maybe I need to take a shorter lunch break. Or maybe I need to read less articles off my Twitter feed. All good things, but not the best thing, right? So write it into your schedule uh, and make it a part of who you are. And then the last thing is, so there's choose a Bible, choose a time and place, and then choose a plan. Like, again, I know this is really basic, but if you don't have a plan, if you just use the open and point method, uh, today I'll read over here, and today I'm going to read over here, you will not do it for very long. You need a plan if you're going to be regularly do it in, in your life. And, and, and if you're new to reading the Bible, I would say just start small. Five, ten minutes a day uh, in the Bible. Uh, one, sometimes I think people never get started reading the Bible because they think, well, I don't know how. I, I, I don't understand how the Bible works. I don't know how it fits together, so I'm just, I, 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 just, I don't want to do it. If that's you, let me just say this. That's a great place to be because to be a Christian literally means to be a learner. A disciple literally means learner. Uh, That's what we're all about. We're following Jesus and learning from Him. And we all start somewhere, and we're all learning every step of the way. I'm teaching my uh, uh, daughter, who's almost 15, uh, to drive, and we've been out in the car. Uh, She's been out in the car one time behind the wheel. We went out to this big parking lot, and she's just getting the basics of how it works. Uh, And the other day, she asked me, I was driving, she asked me, no, Dad, which one is the brake and which one is the uh, the gas? And I'm like, okay, good question, right? That's, that's an important one to get figured out, right? Important distinction. If you drive, you're thinking, I can't remember a time that I didn't know that. It's just second nature now, and yet you learned it, okay? So wherever you are with the Word of God, just start to learn from Jesus and follow Him uh, in His Word as His disciple. Uh, there are some really good Bible plans, reading plans out there. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to send an email uh, with some links to some really good resources and some really good plans. And so if you're not on our email list and you want that, be sure to fill out that thing uh, that we'll mention on the back of the liturgy. Uh, and I just want to send you a few plans. You, you don't need me to do that because you probably are aware of all the good ones that are out there. Uh, I'm reading one. On, uh, there's one on uh, my app uh, that's called Read Through the Bible uh, that's really good. You can track the reading for the day. It, uh, and, and then uh, and I don't read it on my phone. I wouldn't do that. But I track it on my phone, and then I read it in this Bible. This is my devotional Bible. I mentioned that already. Uh, but that, that one's really good because it takes you through the whole Bible in a year and only about 10 minutes a day of reading. And so you can read more each day. If you want to get faster, through it faster in a year, you can do that, or you can slow down and take time. 10 minutes a day. It's wonderful. And then I try to build in a little time just to, to meditate on maybe one thing that stood out to me uh, in that day's reading. If you just want to read the uh, New Testament this year, I saw, I came across a really good plan. It'll be in one of those links that I send you tomorrow. It's called the five by five by five plan. It's reading the New Testament five days a week, Monday through Friday, five minutes a day, and then they give you five ideas of ways to meditate or dig deeper into what you're reading. And then they suggest taking the weekend to maybe just spend some extra time meditating on something you read earlier that week. It's a great plan. Bottom line, choose a plan, right? Choose a Bible, choose a time in your schedule, uh, choose a plan, and then begin to focus your gaze on God's good word because what you gaze at is what you will become. It forms you in such deep ways. All right, let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.